Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story reading. Our Sacred Story reading comes from the book of Luke chapter 2. Many of you recognize the book of Luke chapter 2 because in the beginning of that chapter is when we have the birth narrative of Jesus that's often read at Christmas time. And as I was thinking about what to do for today, I was like, well, what comes next? We always stop reading at verse 24 after the shepherds come and they appear to Mary and Joseph and Mary's heart is filled. Uh, Then what? Right? Like we just kind of go straight into Lent, and then we get to the cross and Easter. And so, well, what happens right after that? And this is, this is what comes shortly after in verse 25. And I'm going I'm to read 10 verses, which I know is a risk. So please don't fall asleep. Try to stay with me. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. Let me just pause right there for one second. It's really interesting in the book of Luke, in the book of Acts, because they were both written by the man named Luke. So Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. It's actually one continuous story that Luke is writing, but we separated it because one was the story of Jesus and one was the story of the apostles after Jesus. And so for some reason, when we put our Bibles together, we separated those two stories. They're they're one continuous story. It's really interesting if you track when the Holy Spirit shows up in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts. Because the first time the Holy Spirit shows up, it shows up to Mary. The second time it shows up, it shows up to her cousin Elizabeth. And now this is another time that the Holy Spirit is showing up, and it's showing up to this guy named Simeon. And then the fourth time the Holy Spirit shows up is to a woman named Anna. And so, just in case people were thinking that the Bible doesn't value women, three of the first four times that the Holy Spirit shows up in the book of Luke, it's showing up to women, Mary, Elizabeth, and this prophet Anna, which I think is an awesome way of telling the story. So just wanted to point that out for all of you that are going to go back and scour Luke and Acts later on. Okay. So the Holy Spirit rested on him and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. 
Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Oh, I almost feel like a dun, dun, dun should come after that. Uh, that was kind of heavy. Um, I love that story of Simeon. I mean, I, I, I don't have like some cute story. Okay, I'll give you a quick story because some of you are probably wondering, did Santa get caught? Are there any little kids in the room? Okay, there are no little kids that actually are going to consciously remember this. Okay, um, no, Santa did not get caught. But I have to caveat it by saying that my wife kind of prepared the way because she said that's a really stupid bet. Some of you heard this in the nine o'clock. Um, the 10 o'clock, I didn't know about this. So if, raise your hand if you were at the 10 o'clock Christmas Eve service. Okay, now raise your hand if you were at the nine o'clock. Okay, so some of you have no idea what's going on. Okay, let me just set up some context here. I guess it's story time. So I made a bet with my oldest that Santa wouldn't get caught. He said, if I catch Santa, you got to buy me a, a Big Mac during this week in between Christmas and New Year's. And I said, well, what happens if Santa doesn't get caught? And he said, I'll give Santa an, hours of, an hour of free massages. His, his massages normally cost $1.50 for every five minutes. And so I was going to get an hour of them, 12 of them for free, which was, in my eyes, a really good deal. And I said, Santa's undefeated, so I'm, I'm good for that bet. Well, my wife didn't think this was smart because he wanted to booby trap the whole place and he wanted to stay awake all night to try to catch me. And she's like, this is awful. You're going to like, he's not going to get any sleep. You're going to trip and fall. This is an awful bet. So she told him, I'll buy you a Big Mac if you just go to bed. And I'm like, come on. So anyway, Santa didn't get caught. So I still get my hour of free massages and he got his Big Mac. Anyway, so fun for everybody. Okay, I love the story of Simeon. I love this idea that the Holy Spirit told this, this guy that, hey, you're going to see the salvation of Israel. You're going to see this child, the Messiah, the Christ. You're going to see the one that we've been longing for and waiting for. You're going to see that child before you die. And then Mary and Joseph go into the temple to do the ritualistic thing that after a certain amount of time, you go and circumcise the baby and it officially gets the name and all of that beautiful stuff that they do according to the law of Moses. And so they go there and then there's Simeon, this random guy walks up, holds the child in his like, oh, Lord, you fulfilled your promise. And then he says some really heavy things that I just got done reading. And I love what he says. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in, it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I just think that these words are so beautiful and so powerful. And if you are Mary and Joseph and you walk into the temple and you know that there's this miraculous thing happening, but you don't know who knows it. You don't know where God's revealing it. The last time it happened, it was some shepherds on a hillside. And so you're just kind of like, what is going to happen? And then you walk into the temple, the place where God is supposed to be dwelling with the people, the place that is the place where all the beautiful things are happening for the religion. The religion. You walk in and someone holds your child and then says, this. Man, what a moment. I just think this is such a cool story about one of the earliest days of Jesus's life. And so I thought, okay, well, what can we learn about it? How can we engage this story? And this idea of new beginnings with new expectations came to my mind. Here's the thing. In the first century, the people were longing for a Messiah. They were, they were waiting with anticipation. They had been uh, 
about four to 500 years removed from having a country of their own. The country of Judah, the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin had been captive by Babylon and then the Persians. They got sent back to Jerusalem, but they were still under the boot of Jerusalem, then Alexander the Great, and then some of the generals of Alexander the Great, and then the Hasmonean dynasty, which is where we get Hanukkah, freed them for a little while, but then eventually the Greeks came in and then the Romans And so they've been under someone else's authority for 500 years. It's not exactly slavery like it was in Egypt, but it's definitely not freedom like they would have wanted. It wasn't political freedom because they were having to do everything Rome wanted, pay taxes to Rome, give to Rome. Caesar was the one in charge. Caesar was Lord. And so they had to follow the rules of the Romans. There were guards, Roman guards, all throughout Jerusalem mandating and dictating what would happen. It was not the way they wanted it. And so they are longing for liberation. They're longing for freedom. They're longing for a Messiah to come. And some people had different visions of what that would look like. Some people had a a vision that the Messiah would look like David, and it would be this conquering army leader who had the big sword on a big horse and came riding in and would conquer Rome and take back the kingdom of Jerusalem, the kingdom of Judah and Israel for the people. They thought it would be a Davidic warrior Messiah. Others thought that the Messiah was going to be this kind of perfect priest, this this perfect one that would come in and would, would demand that the people follow the law the right way, and that if they followed the law perfectly, that God would miraculously kick Rome and kick all of, uh, of, of the, the Romans out. So they thought, if we can just get everybody to obey it perfectly, do this all right, then God will show up in a miraculous way. Because they would look back at their scriptures and they would hear the prophets say, you've gotten in the wrong direction. You've gone in the wrong direction. You've gone in the wrong direction. And God is going to leave you. And if you want God to come and rescue you, you have to do the right thing. You have to obey the law. You have to get back into doing the, the sacrifices the right way. And so the Pharisees and the priests, they want everyone to be perfect. And they see it also as a slight power grab. Because if I can tell you that you're not perfect, then who do you have to rely on for where you get your perfection? Me, right? I'm the religious authority. And so we start to see the corruption happen within Jerusalem. That although the priests and the Pharisees want people to do the right thing because they think it will bring God's favor, they actually use it for their own benefit to gain power over people. And those that want military power, they're just getting everybody killed because there's no way you fight Rome with a sword. It's going to, you're going to, if you fight with the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And so this, these two ways of a Messiah coming in are not working for the people. They are not seeing Messiah come. And so the question is, who is this Messiah going to be? And we see this new beginning with Jesus coming in a manger. We see this Jesus not accepted by others. We see this Jesus being the the one that Herod is after to try to kill because Herod's actually the one in power. Herod's like, I don't want there to be a Messiah. I don't want there to be a Christ. I don't want there to be a Savior because I'm the king of the Jews. So I'm going to stamp out and kill anything that gets in my way. And so there were those with political power, those that thought they should have military power, and those that they thought should have religious power, all trying to vie for power, thinking that their answer was the answer. And in comes Jesus in this beautiful moment in the temple with Simeon. And here's why this new beginning has with it new expectations. It's because nobody would have expected this new beginning, this Messiah, this Christ, 
to be one for the Gentiles, to be one for their enemies, to be one that's going to liberate not just Israel, but all people, to be good news for all. So when Simeon holds this baby in his arms and he pronounces this amazing thing to the people and he says to them, which a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel, the reason why it's amazing to their father and mother, to Mary and Joseph, is because this was not what the culture expected the Messiah to be. It was unexpected for Jesus to be a light of revelation for the Gentiles. And the reason why it's unexpected is because they had done something where they had forgotten their story. All throughout the Old Testament, the people are told to remember. Remember, remember, remember. Remember what God did for you when you were in Egypt. God led you into the promised land. Remember the promise that God made to your father Abraham and to Sarah. Remember the promise that was made to Isaac and to Jacob. Remember what God did through your ancestors. Remember how God showed up time and time again. Remember how God rescued you and saved you and led you through and fought your battles for you. Remember who God is and how God showed up. But the thing is, remembering is not returning. Because while they're told to remember over and over and over again, they're also told, never return to where you came. Don't go back there. You don't go back to Egypt. You don't go back to that way of doing things. You don't go back to that old way. There's this beautiful passage in Isaiah where it says, I'm doing a new thing. So God is up to something new. How many times in our life when we think of coming to a new year or it's our birthday and we have this new year upon us, we start to think about, okay, what do I want this new year to look like? Whether it's a new calendar year or a new birth year, we tend to do some reflecting on who we are and what we've been about. And we might at times want to not only remember what we were like, but some of us would like to return to an old version of ourselves, a more fit version, a healthier version, a version that maybe had more freedom or didn't care so much, or a version of ourselves that was like, you know, carefree and just was seemed to be happier. We forget all of the hard times of that earlier self. We forget all of the troubles that we went through. We forget that we've We've learned so many lessons from all the mistakes we made at that time, but some of us want to return to who we were. I mean, trust me, I would love to go back and be 23-year-old Jason again who just got done playing college baseball. I was in much better shape back then, and it was 20 years ago. Holy cow. Uh, Time goes by fast, right? There's a part of me that wishes I could return to a certain time in life. But that's not how this thing works. It's not how the trajectory of a life works. It's not the trajectory of a people. It's not the trajectory of a community. It's not the trajectory of a church or a nation. It's not the trajectory that we see with Jesus and with Israel. The thing is, we are called to remember. We are called to remember. So when you think back on your own life, what do you remember? What lesson did you learn? What joy did you have? What what made that time of life so special? Remember that. Embrace that. Go back to that for a second. Learn from it. Experience it in your mind's eye again so that you can bring those lessons, that passion, that joy, so that you can bring some of that reconciled pain forward with you into now. We don't need to return to it, but we can remember it and learn from it as we head into who we're supposed to be. 
Because the second thing about this is not only was Israel and, and what Jesus was coming to do about remembering who they were, so that, but not returning to it, but it's also about doing something new, but not out of character. Because as much as Jesus comes on the scene and is this Messiah that's a, that's a baby and is going to say things like, love those um, who persecute you, turn the other cheek, who's going to hang on a cross and say, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. As much as Jesus is going to be this countercultural Messiah, this revolutionary way of love in the world and not judgment, this revolutionary way of justice and kindness as opposed to vindictiveness and retribution, as much as Jesus is going to be this way of mercy and grace, Jesus is not doing that out of the character of who these people were originally called to be. This isn't actually new. Jesus is doing something new in their eyes, but Jesus is doing something old in the eyes of what God expected for humanity all along. Humanity was supposed to be a blessing to other people. Humanity was supposed to be loving towards one another. We were supposed to see ourselves as brothers and sisters and siblings and not just rivals and tribal and against each other. The original calling of Abraham and Sarah was to go and be a great nation, and through you, I will bless all the nations of the world. This was always supposed to be good news for the Gentiles. It was always supposed to be good news for other people. It was always supposed to proclaim the glory of Israel because there was a blessing to everyone through them. And it had gotten off track. It had deviated. It left the path. The trajectory was in the wrong direction. How many of our lives, whether it's our life in community, our life in society, or just our personal life, have we gone off track and we were heading down a path that it looks like it's going to gain me a lot, but it's going to gain me a lot at the cost of someone else. It's going to gain me a lot, but it might actually end up hurting someone else. You know, it feels really good to yell at that person and tell them why they're wrong but it doesn't actually make the world a better place to do it. So as much as I'm going to feel good in that moment and feel righteous about it and feel all like retribution and feel good, it's not actually helping where this is going. The original call of Israel is to be a blessing. And so Jesus comes on the scene and is doing something new in his time, in this moment, in the first century, setting a new trajectory for who they are supposed to be in the world, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a disciple of Christ, and yet it's not out of character. So the challenge for us is to do something new, to recognize that I need to move forward in this new beginning, this new year, this new way of being in the world, and I don't need to step out of character. When someone makes a change in their life and they go in a new direction and, and, it's, and it is new and it's different, a lot of times when it's the right thing, there's people in their life that say, I love that you're doing this because I've seen this in you so much. It's so wonderful to see you step into it. You know, one of the things I love about watching my wife's career transpire because she worked in higher ed for 16 years and then, or 10 years, and then we left Tennessee and we moved to Minnesota and she didn't have a job because it, we moved up here for mine. And it was this process of figuring out what she's going to do and who she's going to be and where she's going to invest her time. And she started doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that. And we called it her portfolio career because she was doing like four or five different things. And she had this portfolio of stuff going on. And the thing about it is that we would talk about it and like, is this the right 
decision? Should I try this or should I take this class or should I get trained in this or certified in that? And what you know, and and we always came back to what's your mission in life? What's your mission? And her mission in life is to see people flourish into the best version of themselves. That's her mission. Like she she knows it. I know it. Like, I don't know what my mission is. I mean, but we know hers, like we've worked on hers. Anyway, so like I know her mission is to see people flourish into the best version of themselves. And so everything in that portfolio that she does is meeting that mission. And so when she starts a new endeavor, it's new and it's a different trajectory. And it might be a down a path that we never saw coming. But the thing is, it's never out of character for who she is. And I think that's, to me, what makes it so powerful watching her journey. And so how can we do something new without stepping out of character. And so for the next eight minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do this. And I want to think critically in two different ways. And this is where the little handouts come in place. The one with four questions on it is your personal, take it home, use it when you want, write on it right now. Because in a couple minutes, Gavin's going to put on some just nice, calm Advent music for us. And we're going to just get an opportunity to write on these pieces of paper for about seven minutes. And so the first one is a personal reflection. What is your new beginning? So if you're, okay, I'll be honest. I'm not a big New Year's resolution fan. I think they're kind of hokey. If you're a big into it and you're like, I love New Year's resolutions, congratulations. I'm happy for you. I don't do it because I usually fail within about two days. Um, I'm always interested about why we start on January 1st when that's like one of the best days to eat food. Um, And so many people want to get healthier. I'm like, this is dumb. Like, why would you start on the first? You need to start on like the eighth. Anyway, so if you're a New Year's resolution fan, here it is. If you're not a New Year's resolution fan, that's fine. But maybe this is a practice just for this season that you want to try. So what is your new beginning? What trajectory are you on? Where do you need to head in this new year? And then what are you remembering? So when you think back about where you've been in your past, what are you bringing forward? What lessons are you bringing forward? What values, what what talents, what passions are you bringing forward into this new trajectory? Where might you misstep? What could get in the way? And then finally, what is your word of the year? How could you capture this new beginning in one word? Sometimes that's a helpful practice for people is to think of their word of the year. Is there a word that captures the season that you're entering into? And then in a couple of minutes, if you get a chance, write down what defines peace for you. What defines peace for you? Because as we think about who we're becoming as a church community, as what, who we want to be in Shoreview, North Oaks, who we want to be for the kids at the Good Neighbor Center, who we want to be for our community, we need to do that within the character of who we are. We're not going to suddenly become someone that we were never meant to be or that we don't have the skills for or that we could never imagine actually doing. So what defines peace to you? What's the character of this community. Let's all write down what we think that is, turn it into the basket on your way out, and then we'll collect them and find out what the community thinks our character is. And then from there, we can shape how we show up in our community in this new year. Does that make sense? Okay, so Gavin's going to hit play, and we're going to just have a few moments. So if you need more time to process, I encourage you to take it home. I also encourage you to talk to someone about it. Some of the best ways to step into a new trajectory or a new beginning is to 
bring someone else along for the journey to help ask you about it, how it's going to have maybe like a routine check-in about some of those things. And some of you may be wondering, okay, this feels very personal or it feels very kind of uh, New Year's Day-ish type thing. Is This doesn't seem that connected to the whole Mary and Joseph and Jesus story. I, I totally get that it might feel like we're just grabbing the this Jesus moment to make it useful for us today. But here's the thing. We're called, as we talked about on Christmas Eve, we're called to be the light. That Jesus is the light of the world and that we are the light of the world because we are disciples of Christ. And the only way to truly live into the fullness of what that means is to be the fullest, best, most holistic version of ourselves we can possibly be. And so we have to do this kind of calibrating and recalibrating of the trajectory that we're, we're on and who we are. Because what God needs and what the world needs is for us to show up as the most loving, kind-hearted, patient version of ourselves possible. And so this new beginning idea, is, yeah, it might feel a little selfish to do some work on yourself, but also sometimes the most giving, thoughtful thing you can do for the world is do a little work on yourself so that you show up more patient and more kind and more just for a world that's in desperate need of that. And so, although it might feel a little self-serving, I hope that what it does is launch you into being a better servant and a better uh, person of love in the world uh, for your community and for those around you. God of grace and mercy, we're so grateful that you were with us in this new beginning. Every day your mercies are new and we are grateful for it. So let us be people who evaluate, who remember, who remember and take stock of the passions and the, the talents that you've given us. Help us to remember all the life lessons, all the things that we've learned from the pain of the past. Help us to bring all of that into this new moment, this new beginning. Help us to have new expectations for how you are going to show up. Help us to not have this, this preconceived idea of it's got to be just like it used to be, but instead the expectations and the beginning is all new because you are new, God, and you are with us. So help us to trust the story of old as it launches us into the future that you have for us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about new beginnings and new expectations is because the first series that I would like to do for the next six weeks, starting next week, is on the Lord's Prayer, which I know has been a significant piece of the history of, of this church is dialoguing about and thinking about the Lord's Prayer and what does it say and how, how do we make sense of it, especially when the most traditional version of it starts out with our Father. And so we have, in the history of this community, adapted that and that's where the Christ Prayer came from, was an adaptation of the Lord's Prayer. And it's this beautiful prayer that we say every single week. And I know some of you are like getting really worried at this moment, but don't worry. I'm not about to take away the Christ prayer, okay? Just want to put that out there. But I want to discuss the Lord's Prayer. I want to talk about how this prayer is meaningful for our faith and why it's important. And what I'd like to do is, and Dave did this, uh, encouraged this when, when he was on staff, is not just recite the Christ prayer every week, but also encourage us to engage other versions of the Lord's prayer from other cultures and people groups throughout time and throughout history that have brought meaning and, and purpose um, to this dynamic prayer. And so over the next six weeks, we are going to say the Christ prayer at least one time in the six weeks, but we also might say versions of the Lord's prayer that are coming from other people groups and other cultures and traditions so that we can start to think critically about what does this prayer mean for us and what is it here to teach us about who we should be in the world. And so next week, we're going to start 
um, with discussing or with, with hearing about what is the, that first early phrase really getting at? What is the Our Father who art in heaven? Holy is your name. What is, the, what is that phrase really getting at? And how can we understand it more deeply? Um, so that's going to be the beginning of a new series that I'm calling The Prayer. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.